Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. Welcome to episode 99. Tonight we're gonna party like it's 1999, but 2021. How did you party in 1999? Oh man. Oh, like the like the millennial yeah. bunch of friends got like this house in the middle of nowhere. And just partied there. But I yeah. remember like right before I was leaving, my mom was like, don't forget to get your Y2K water. <laughs> she had like two gallon jugs sitting on the counter. <laughs> like that was going to save us all. That was going to save us. <laughs> What'd you do? Um, I think we, we went to my friend Hadley's house. We usually, we there was like a group of us who did um, New Year's Eve's together for a long time and we never went like out, out, but we usually went to like a lake house or, you know, something like that. Yeah. But we ended up going to my friend Hadley's house and, you know, just partying. But I remember looking at our watches and being like, are they going to like digital watches? And be like, oh, oh, yeah. Are you going to change over? <laughs> <laughs> What's going to happen? The computers are all going to shut down. We're going to shut down the grid. <laughs> we were fine. We were Spoiler fine. Spoiler alert. We were fine. Oh, man, I had a funny thing happen this week. Did you almost get arrested? (laughs) No, but – okay, so uh, I was taking Max to school, and you know how you're just like – like in the mornings, like I'm always just like, okay, automatic pilot, like I'm grabbing things, whatever. So I got my phone, got my sunglasses, got Max out the door. You know, I'm always like, hurry, hurry, and he doesn't understand hurry. Mm -hmm. He's like, wait, but watch this, watch this, and like – so I'm like rushing him out the door. He's and so cute. We're best friends. He does love you. He was like, can I go over to Jen's house? <laughs> I was like, I mean, and do what? He was like, just to hang out. <laughs> I love him. So I'm like rushing him out the door and I, I do everything. I flip the lock on the door. I close it. And then we're standing outside. I'm like, oh. I did not grab the keys. Oh, no. You locked yourself out? Locked yourself out. Ben was all oh. the way up at work, which is like 45 minutes away. <gasps> so – and I'm like, oh, my God. I have I don't have the car keys. I don't have the keys. I do have my cell phone. But I'm like, okay. So I'm like, okay. Worst case scenario, I can call our neighbors and they'll take Max to school and then I don't know what I'll do, but like, okay, that's, you know, so I'm talking to Max and he's like, Oh no, mom, I'm not going to get to school on time. What's going to happen. We got to call Virginia to come. She's our neighbor to like come down and get, and get us and take us to school. What are we going to do? And I'm like, all right, buddy, we're going to go. I'm going to see if I can get in the house first. So I'm like going around kind of like shaking our doors. Oh my God, you did almost get arrested. Right? For breaking and entering. <laughs> well, okay. So it's like even worse. So I'm like shaking our doors, like trying to like get into the house. And then I remember that our bathroom window doesn't lock. So I, but it's like high up. So I got a ladder, got oh like God. propped it up. I opened, so I'm like on a ladder, like opening our 
our bathroom window, but it doesn't open enough for me to get in. And Max is just down there going like, Mom, I don't think this is going to happen. It's not going to work. I don't think it's going to work. He's like wringing his hands. And I'm like, we're breaking into this goddamn house. Like We are going to get in. And so I then I was like, okay, get up on the ladder. Oh gonna, my God. I'm going to lift you through the window. So I lifted, I like snuggled him, lifted him through the window. And I was like, okay, now go unlock the door. And, he, <laughs> and the whole time he's like, I don't know, mom. I don't know. <laughs> but he he's did. like, his heart told him that it didn't feel right. It didn't his feel heart right. was right. <laughs> but you know what? I got him right through that door. Oh, man. Did you buy him like a treat for helping you break into your house? Like good work, Max? I just kept telling him he was super cool. He felt very cool after it all worked out. But he's like so not a rule, like a risk taker at all. Yeah. It was just such like a, he was, you know, usually you think like the kid would be like, come on, let's go through the window. But I was like lifting my five-year-old through the window oh my god uh, i had to like jump down onto the toilet and then oh it's great but i got- hope you uh fixed your bathroom window locks eh uh no my the ladder's still underneath <laughs> oh my god as soon as we're done recording go get that ladder lock it up and fix your window <laughs> Oh my god, you're just asking to get murdered. <laughs> so if anybody wants to come over, if you have a She's very, laid out the blueprint. If you're so you very can thin pick them up or you have a small child. <laughs> come on in. You can in. just throw a bunch of snakes through the window. Just open it up and rats and snakes. Oh my god. Dude. Ay ay ay. Well, know. Did you make it to school on time, though, still? No. Oh, okay. No, we were already running fun. late. <laughs> we weren't ever going to make it to school on time. Hey, at least you got there. We got there. Got it there. was fine. Ugh. <laughs> oh, man. So how's, how's, how are your neighbors treating you after last week? They're fine, except for the other day. Oh, oh I guess it was yesterday. Was it yesterday? I don't know. God, this week goes by so fast. Um, <laughs> well, it's only Texted Tuesday. <laughs> my husband and said, hey, if Jen's taking the dog on a walk, because I walk my dog every morning, if Jen's taking the dog on a walk, would you mind to ask her if she could check my mailbox for a package <laughs> and then put it on the side porch? And I was like, for what? So you could <laughs> take my video and post it all over social media? No, thank you. Wait, was it the same neighbor? Yeah. No. I was like, I'm not falling for that, dude. <laughs> this isn't a game that we play together now. Like you're on your own. <laughs> I did. I did check there. The package wasn't there. The mail is crazy. The mail's crazy. But it's crazy. But I was just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's just a setup. Exactly. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Oh man, that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> um, let's get into some quickies. Let's do it. You're first this week. Okay. I got my story from the Good News Network by Judy Cole and from the Washington Post by Sydney Page. Okay. So, Judy Tenetti and Cassandra Madison met at work in a New Haven, Connecticut bar and they bonded instantly. 
Both were born in the Dominican Republic and they had been adopted by U.S. families. They had both like coincidentally had tattoos of the DR's flag. And people at the bar used to joke that they looked and acted like sisters. But they and they like kind of like they loved this idea, but they knew from looking at their adoption papers that like this wasn't the case. They'd been born in different towns. They had different birth mothers, but they had formed this friendship that was really like a sisterhood. And Cassandra said, we always acted like sisters. They like, they dressed alike. They spent all of their time together. And they sometimes even like tricked coworkers and customers into believing they were sisters, which uh-huh. was like- I love doing that. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine how close you would feel to someone to be like, you had the same experience as I do, you know, and have all these similarities. So in 2015, Cassandra ended up moving to Virginia Beach, but both she and Judy stayed really close friends. They both started working in healthcare. And around 2018, Cassandra started getting really interested in finding out more about her birth family. And she would talk to Judy about it, but Judy was like, I'm not really interested. I know that these reunion stories don't really always end up all that great, Mm -hmm. you know? And she said, finding my biological family just wasn't a thing for me. I grew up with a great family, so I just kind of left it where it was. But Cassandra, you know, was everybody was doing genetic testing. So she got a 23andMe testing kit as a gift from her adoptive mom, which I think is really sweet. Yeah. Um, And so through that, she was able to locate her birth family in the Dominican Republic. She found out that why her biological mom had passed away in 2015, her father and seven brothers and sisters were in the DR and they were excited to meet her. So, wow. Yeah. So Cassandra flew down there in 2019 and she said she bonded with them immediately, that it was like she had known them her whole life. So Cassandra, of course, is like posting about all this on Facebook. And these posts were seen by another friend of Judy and Cassandra's whose name was Molly Sapatin. And Molly had also been adopted from the DR and actually was adopted on the same day as Judy. And Judy and Molly had grown up together, so they already knew this fact. But Molly recognized the last name of Cassandra's birth family, Collado, because it was the same name that was on her birth certificate. So oh, wow. She, yeah, so she contacted Cassandra, and she and Molly – compared birth certificates, and they turned out that they had the same birth mother listed. Oh, my God. Yeah. But, Jen, so it turns out that wasn't quite right because now both Molly and Judy got DNA tests, and those tests revealed that actually the adoption agency had switched Molly and Judy's birth records when they were adopted And Judy was actually the one who was Cassandra's biological sister. What? So Judy and Cassandra, who were the ones that worked at the bar together, were actually- And said that they were sisters? Yes. Oh my God. So the DNA test proved it. They And so, and Molly, it turns out, who was like the other friend, was their cousin. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when Cassandra spoke with her biological father, he confirmed that, yes, a second daughter had been put up for adoption. The family apparently was facing like super uh, hard times. They had all these kids and they had a a child who was very ill that they were trying to support. So they had to they had to put up these two girls for adoption. They were a year apart. And he told her it was a difficult time for your mom and I. I don't like to talk about it. I don't even like to think about it. 
But so now both of these best friends turned sisters are like hoping to go to the DR when COVID travel restrictions are eased. But in the meantime, they're getting to know their biological family via Zoom. And they're, oh, wow. They said their dad cries every time they talk and that he Aww. is just so excited. He had prayed for this day to come. And Judy says, now that I look back on it, this had to happen. We were meant to cross paths like this. I will stay. I will forever be her annoying little sister. Oh, my God. But like, what an amazing feeling for that father, not only to like having prayed to find them and found them, but to know that his girls are together. Right. And that they already and they felt have like been together. Yeah. Isn't that so random and amazing? Yeah. They just like met working at a bar. Whoa. This and they had grown up, they both grew up in Connecticut, but like in different towns. So it wasn't like their families didn't know each other. They weren't, it just. Oh my God. I'm telling you. Yeah, I know. In the universe. Something man. in the universe. Or it's the universe. <laughs> <laughs> or it just is the universe. Or it just is. It's just, whatever. But anyway. Amazing. Wow. Crazy. I love that story. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my quickie this week is not that. Nice. <laughs> Are you surprised? No, um, I'm not. And I'm, I'm a little I'm a little happy. You can't have so much joy. <laughs> it's interesting though. This one kind of actually made me laugh pretty hard. This quickie came from an article for newsweek.com and by Annabelle Doliner. Okay. According to the Tokyo Reporter, a 39-year-old Takashi Mayagawa is suspected of simultaneously having relationships with upwards of 30 women. What? Do you know why? Why? What was his motivation? Was it just to have sex with 30 women? No. It was he wanted to receive as many birthday presents as possible. No. Apparently, um, his real birthday is November 13th, but he is said to have told up to 30 different girlfriends, given them fake birthday dates so that he can receive birthday presents year round. <laughs> How Where is this all like online girlfriends? Yeah. Okay. Actually, so these were all online girlfriends. So the police say that he's collected about from just from three women alone who have come out, come forward and collaborated uh, their stories. So just from these three women alone, he's gotten approximately 100,000 yen, which is $926, all in the form of different gifts. And then he's also gotten money, about 20,000 yen in the form of electronic money. And he also received a suit that was worth 30,000 yen. (laughs) So he got somebody to send him a suit. Don't send men gifts. Don't. I know. This reminds me of, do, do you ever listen to Janelle James' podcast? I don't oh, know if she does God, it super regularly, her. but she's always like- girl, <laughs> You in danger, girl? You in danger, girl? Yeah. Yeah, she's I love it. always like, any man who asks for money is suspicious. <laughs> like, I am not giving you gifts. I am not. And it's like, this is why. Apparently, he met- most of these women via a multi-level marketing scheme, which involved the sale of shower-related products. <laughs> and it was there Am that he, he was able to uh, 
he was able to target these women. But some of the women he actually dated in person, there was one young woman that said that that they were dating in person and that she was surprised when at the very beginning of their relationship, he kissed her. And it was only the second time that they had met. And she said, she said, I told him, I don't want to do that unless you are someone who wants to get married and really be with me in the future. And his response was, I'm serious. <laughs> I'm going to be with you for the rest of my life. You I'm sure that's how he sounds in Japan. Credit. <laughs> it's my birthday. <laughs> and so apparently you were going to be like, he wants to get as many blowjobs as possible. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's my birthday. He just wants to celebrate his big birthdays. But apparently they tried to reach out to him um, for comment but he um, said that he won't speak to anyone unless he has his lawyer present and when Mm -hmm. the Tokyo reporter approached him with the film crew and asked him if he was the suspect in question he denied it and he fled the scene. He was like I won't speak to anybody unless you bring me a present. (laughs) It depends. (laughs) Did you bring me a present? (laughs) It's my birthday. (laughs) Can we get interviewed at Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> it depends. Will there be cake there? <laughs> he just really loves those birth- cone birthday hats. <laughs> he really does. Yeah. I just picture him sitting in jail when he's finally arrested with like a birthday hat on and one of those like you know <laughs> yeah hanging out the side of his yeah. mouth those like paper yeah things those nose noise blowers <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so that's my quickie for this oh, week that was a good one <laughs> sounds like a catch silly. sounds don't, like a don't send a man you met on the internet anything a suit don't send him a suit. Don't send him a Don't let him naked send you his picture. measurements. Don't. Yeah, right? Like. Mm. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, that takes a lot to get a suit. Yeah, like, can I buy you? It either had to have gone like, will you buy me a suit? Right. <laughs> <laughs> can I give you my measurements? Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a wild and crazy story? Sure am. Uh, Okay, I got my information from an NBC News article, from The Guardian, from an episode of Disappeared on ID Channel, from an article in Medium by Fatim Himraj, and from an episode of Crime Junkie. Wonderful. At 9 a.m. on Thursday, September 20th, 2007, Tanya Ryder was leaving the supermarket where she worked the overnight shift. She and her husband, Tom, were both working several jobs to save up money to build a house in their new home of Shelton, Washington. Tom and Tanya had been married for seven years and had moved out to Washington to make a fresh break from their families. Like both of them had had very rough childhoods. They had alcoholic mothers who spent time partying and In both cases, they were often left alone and hungry, and the two bonded over this kind of shared traumatic childhood and were really eager to break from this cycle. And when they met, Tom was battling a drug addiction, and Tanya had been suffering for years from depression, but they said that they inspired each other to get the help they needed. 
Mm-hmm. So you can understand why this couple was willing to work so hard to build a life for themselves that was different from what they'd known. So actually, a few years earlier, Tom had inherited a house when a relative died, and they had sold that house and then used the money to invest in this beautiful piece of land in Washington State. It was like overlooking an inlet. And they had like searched for years and found this perfect piece of property and had moved out to Washington. Nice. I know. So they got the land and initially they bought an RV and were living in the RV while they built their dream home. But then with winter approaching, they had recently moved into a townhouse in the nearby town of Maple Valley to make it easier to get to and from work because both of them were working nonstop. They really were like investing everything they had into building this home. So (laughs) that morning in September, Tanya was headed home from stocking shelves at a grocery store to get a few hours of sleep before she would go to work at her second job at Nordstrom Rack. But Tanya wouldn't make it home. Oh, no. So Tom was also working two jobs. He delivered pizza at night and worked as a superintendent of housing developments during the day. And a lot of times he was like in between those two jobs, he was like picking up shifts, clearing land. And so often the two wouldn't see each other for days at a time. He had talked to her on the phone on the night of the 19th before she went into work. It wasn't until the morning of September 22nd, which was two days after Tanya had disappeared, that Tom called the police in Bellevue, Washington. And he said he might not have even known anything was wrong at all, except that Tanya's boss had called him late that evening of the 21st and had asked if everything was okay. And Tom was like, yeah, why? And the boss told him that Tanya had not shown up for her last two overnight shifts. Hmm. So she had left after her shift on the 19th, had not shown up on the 20th, and then also had not shown up on the 21st. So Tom calls Tanya's cell phone, but she doesn't answer. So he calls her day job at Nordstrom Rack, and they were like, actually, she hasn't shown up for her shift that she's supposed to start in, like, that she was supposed to start, like, half an hour ago. And so according to Tom, he then drives home, driving kind of some of her usual routes uh, between her job and home to see if he could find her and doesn't see anything. He goes to their town home, and he doesn't find her there. He then goes to Nordstrom Rack to see if she shows up, and she doesn't. He calls the police to see if there are any accident reports matching her car. He calls the hospitals to see if she's shown up there, but nobody has seen Tanya. So calls uh, 911, and he, he gets connected to the Bellevue police. And at this point, it's been two full days since anyone has seen or heard from Tanya. So the Bellevue police sends someone out to meet Tom at Nordstrom Rack and to take a statement, and Tom tells them, that Tanya hadn't taken any money and that all she has is her Nordstrom Rack credit card with her. The police ask about their relationship and he's like, look, it's a marriage. Like we have Mm -hmm. our ups and downs. He's like, there's no way Tanya would have left me, especially without taking any money. (laughs) Right? Like he's like, yeah, like he's like, we have a good marriage, but like it's a marriage. So eventually the Bellevue police say, you know, they've looked at the security footage from the supermarket and they can see that in the morning when she left after her shift, She was headed in the direction of home. And so they then were like, look, this case is not within our jurisdiction. So you need to go home and call 911 again, and you're going to be connected to the Kings County Sheriff's Office. And the 911 operator in Kings County actually makes Tom call back several times, first saying, we won't take a a report until you've called and confirmed that Tanya is not in jail. And then when he does that, and then he calls back, and then he said, they're like, well, we're not going to take a report unless you've called 
all of her family and friends to make sure she's not with them. And he's like, we don't speak to our families and we just moved to the area. We don't have any friends. I've already talked to everybody she knows at her workplaces. And when he's like arguing with the operator about like, it's going to make no sense for me calling people, the operator actually hangs up on him. Oh my God. Yeah. So he calls back a third time and is like, okay, now I've called all the family and friends And at this point, the operator is like, well, sorry, Tanya doesn't meet our criteria of opening a missing persons case. And the operator is like, we can't treat Tanya as a missing person because she was an adult. She, even though she has a history of of depression, she shows no signs of dementia or being suicidal. And she basically says, we don't go search for missing adults. And at one point, she actually says to Tom, she's an adult. She can go where she, she can go where she wants and she does not have to tell you a thing. So I'm going to tell you right now, because I think from all of our stories that we have told over (laughs) over our 99 episodes, Uh that we all are like, Tom, what did he do? Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to tell you right now that Tom had nothing to do with Tanya's disappearance. You know, I didn't really get the sense that it was him. Yeah. So I mean, so here's a a man who hasn't seen his wife in two days. Yeah. And he is genuinely scared and upset that his wife is missing. And he's now being told that the police are not going to do anything. So Tom calls the police station over and over and he's telling his story, but he keeps getting told the same thing. He actually calls the local news at one point, but he's told by the by the local news that like, oh, unless you file a police report, we can't do anything. Like we can't Like, unless you have a police, a number of a police report, we can't do a story. Mm -hmm. So now he's just like desperate. He calls Kings County one more time and he just happens to get a different operator who sends, who agrees to send out an officer to take a statement. And the officer comes out, he kind of looks around, he takes Tom's statement, he asks a couple questions, but Tom is like, this is obviously like a courtesy visit Mm -hmm. like they're not gonna do anything yeah and so tom actually is like search our house please search our house like look and like show that you care yeah Yeah. and the officer like looks around and he's like look i'll take this to my sergeant who's gonna decide if it's serious enough to assign a detective but i there's nothing much i can do so this is saturday night and tanya has been missing since thursday morning So Sunday morning, a detective actually calls Tom and asks for their bank account information, which Tom readily hands over. He gives them everything he can think of, all of the records. Um, And meanwhile, Tom is just like driving the roads between their townhouse and Tanya's supermarket job over and over, just looking for any sign of her. He's making posters. He's raising money for a reward for any information about her disappearance. He's hounding the news to keep Tanya's picture in the headlines. Mm-hmm. And police tell him that they found activity on one of Tanya's bank accounts, which they thought meant Tanya was out there like using her card and had left voluntarily. But Tom was like, no, that was that's a joint account that I use that to like buy gas to drive around and look for Tanya. But they like kind of ignored that. So Tom had actually been asking investigators since he first called 911 on the 22nd if they would tr- trace Tanya's cell phone signals. But they were like, nope, sorry, our policy is that we can't do that unless she's been classified a missing person. And he's like, well, then classify her as a missing por- person. They're like, mm, sorry, we can't. So because oh, yeah. the, the activity on the, her card, police, a week after Tanya was last seen, have still not classified her as a missing person. And Tom is realizing, yeah, so she's been gone a week and they're still like, 
well, she's probably just out there running around, you know, how wives be doing. Um, women be shopping. Women be shopping. So Tom is realizing from the way that police are investigating and that their questions that they are focused on him. So he is like, gives them access to every record he has, and he actually insists on taking a polygraph test. So it is not until eight days after Tanya was last seen that she is finally classified as a missing person and police are able to get a warrant for her cell phone records. They realize that the phone, since she has been missing, every time someone has called, it is pinged off the same tower, which is less than five miles from the supermarket and just a couple minutes from where, from their home. So they send out a team to search for Tanya in the area. It is also eight days after Tanya's disappearance that Tom is brought in for a polygraph. So he's taking the polygraph and investigators are asking questions and it's clear that they think he is a suspect. And he's like, oh my God, they're going to try to pin something on me and they are not going to look for my wife. And so he's like angry, you know, in this interview. And so at one point, um, one of the officers is like, do you want to take a break? I think you need to cool down. And while he is taking the break, he gets the news. The police have found Tanya and she is alive. (gasps) So what? Okay. So on the morning she went missing, Tanya had left the store and driven towards home. And at some point she must have like drifted off to sleep because just a few minutes before she had reached her townhouse, her blue Honda Element veered off the road and plummeted into a 20-foot deep ravine. Oh, my God. When Tanya came to, she was hanging upside down from her seatbelt. She tried to move, but she couldn't. She could see something was wrong with her shoulder, and her ribs were broken. Her leg was, like, wedged tightly between the seat and the dashboard. And, you know, she's trying to get out, but she can't move. So she was confused. She was scared. She had no idea how long she'd been in the car at this point. But Tanya says, to stay calm, I focused on the fact that any minute now, Tom would realize I was missing and come and find me. If he didn't get here first, I reasoned someone was bound to see my crumpled vehicle at the bottom of a slope beside a busy road. What I didn't know was that my car had plowed through a thick tangle of blackberry bushes that hid it from view. So Tom had driven past this point like so many times, but because of these bushes, you couldn't even see that somebody had gone off the road. And you couldn't see that there was a ravine on the other side. God, that is so terrifying. It's so terrifying. So at some point, she says she could see like a light and she realized it was her phone lighting up from people calling her, but she kept trying to reach her phone, but she couldn't reach it. And she said at that point, she was too weak to even cry. And she started hallucinating. Tanya wrote, I thought I was calling the emergency services. I went off the road, I explained. I need help. The operator laughed. That's stupid and hung up. Isn't that (gasps) crazy that that was what she was hallucinating and that was basically what was happening? Oh, my God. She said, I turned to see my dog, Lady, who died years earlier, sitting in the car watching me. Every now and then, my phone would light up as someone rang. I'd claw at my seatbelt trying to reach it and then gave up in pain. I was slipping in and out of consciousness, but could tell from the cycles of light that several days had passed. It crossed my mind that I was dying, and I accepted it matter-of-factly. Oh, my God. At one point, the pain seemed to be fading. It felt as if I was standing in a sunny meadow. 
Then a noise jolted me back into the car. There were faces outside the window. I assumed it was another hallucination until I heard someone shout, she's alive. So when investigators finally decided to look for her, they found her pretty quickly. It was actually only 20 minutes after they got her cell phone records that they found her. Oh, my God. That is infuriating. I know. So Tanya heard rescuers calling her name. And even though she doesn't remember, she was able to respond just like very faintly. Um, and apparently like the 911 calls you can, or like the rescuers are finding her. They're like, we found a car. It's a car. It's a blue car. There's somebody in it. There's a body. It's moving. She's alive. You know, like it was just this, like they couldn't believe Yeah. that eight days later. So like at this point, her kidneys were failing from dehydration and there was a buildup of toxins caused by muscle damage. Her clavicle and ribs broken. Her shoulder was dislocated. Her leg was severely hurt. Police rushed her to the hospital, and when she woke up there after a surgery that actually saved her leg, Tom was there by her side. Uh, so police apologized, but they were like, we're sorry, sorry. but we were just following po- protocol, which like they technically were. They could have still looked for her, but they were following their protocol. Tom and Tanya actually sued the Kings County police for their negligence, but their case was dismissed basically because they were following protocol. So Tanya wrote in the guardian in 2011, I haven't been back to the spot since the accident. Even now, four years later, I don't remember what happened or why I crashed. And I hope I never do by some miracle. I survived eight days at the bottom of a ravine with terrible injuries and no food or water. I don't want to ask any questions. And Tanya actually wrote a book about the whole ordeal and her recovery, which obviously took a very long time, in a book called Missing Without a Trace, Eight Days of Horror. Oh. Yeah. Man, I feel – that's so – I just feel so bad for both of her and Tom. I know. You know? I know. And it's – I can't imagine – how it would feel to be like, my wife is missing. Please look for her. And then being like, well, maybe what did you do? <clears throat> like, and not yeah. even. It's like one thing to, yes, focus on the partner, but also then look for the person. Did they ever figure out why there was activity on her debit card? Yes, he. it was him. Because he oh. said he was like, it's a joint card and he told them that so it was a joint card and he had used it to buy gas to look for tanya and he told them that and they just kind of ignored it oh that is really infuriating right so it like took them even longer like they just like were like well she's not a missing person because she's out there she's probably just like gallivanting around i guess buying gas it's a miracle that she survived yeah and just so infuriating that she was not found immediately Oh, my God. I can't believe eight days with, like, no food or water and she was, like, hanging upside down. Yeah. (gasps) Can you imagine if he had, like, say – he wasn't and obviously he's a good husband and there was no shadiness there. But could you imagine, like, if he had been having an affair? Right. And then that came out and then they – she probably would have died. Yeah. Because they just would have been like, oh, then you – like, she either ran away or you killed her and that's that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow, man. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's man, a like rough crazy one. Story. But nobody died. That's great. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> what do you uh, got? Are you ready for a love story? I am. Oh. 
Okay. This love story came from an article for uh, NewJersey.com written by Rob Jennings. Okay. Um, the, be- so- the, the most romantic things happen in New Jersey. Yes. <laughs> 91-year-old Iris Ivers, who actually grew up in Schenectady, New York. Okay. Do you know where it's near? It's near Albany. I've never been, but I've just always loved the name Schenectady. Oh, man. Did you ever see that movie, Schenectady, New York? No. What is oh, it about? Man. It's I can't even explain it. It's I just remember watching it with uh, our friend Stephen Carlene and, in the movie theater and us all walking out and being like, what the fuck was that? Really? <laughs> yeah, now like I'm real... intrigued. <laughs> it's like very um, – I wish I could remember who did it because then you would be like, oh, okay. It's like um, like being giant Malkovichy, except – not as well done. Like, did it make any sense? But it's called, that's the movie's called Connected in New York. Oh, it's by Charlie Kaufman. Oh, that all makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, so it's it, within the same vein of like uh, Spike Jones, Charlie Kaufman. Yes. Uh, Michelle Gondry. Sure. Like that kind of. Right. Okay. Got it. Um, uh, well, now I want to see it. Well, go do it. Okay. But first, let me finish the story. Okay. Um, so, so funny. Just like random. My, my friend, good friend, Jeff Buchanan. I've been friends with him since I was in high school, actually. he's It was his birthday just the other day, and I texted him happy birthday. But he actually has edited for all of those people. I don't know about Charlie Kaufman, but definitely for Spike Jones and for Michelle Gondry. And um, and then he just won an Emmy for editing Barry on HBO. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pretty exciting. That's exciting such, stuff. A, such a great Small. show. Well, yeah, it's a great show. Um, so highly recommend. But anyway, back to this love story. So she grew up in Schenectady. And um, she went to um, Cornell University where she graduated. And then afterwards, she she got married. It never says her husband's name, but she got married. And afterwards, they moved together um, with her. And she had a young son. And they moved together to New York City. She apparently led a great life in New York City. And she would take her son on daily walks to Washington Square Park, which just sounds like a dream. It does sound lovely. Doesn't it? Yeah. And she ended up meeting this woman who her husband worked for Sports Illustrated, which at the time was like a new magazine. Okay. And so somehow their discussion, she ended up connecting her to her husband, which led to a 25-year career of her being deputy copy chief editor for Sports Illustrated for 25 years. It was wow. just like a fluke chance meeting. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. And then in 1984, she retired to take care of her husband um, after he was diagnosed with Parkin- Parkinson's disease, mm-hmm. which is very sad. Is very sad. And so then 18 years ago, her husband actually passed away. And after her husband passed away, Iris moved into this, it says age-restricted community named Concordia. Okay. My parents live in like a 55 and older community. Yeah. Um, and you want to know what's real fucked up? What's real fucked up? So both my parents and Zach's parents live in a 55 and older community. And we were driving through into his parents' community the other day. And I was like, dang, we're like 15 years old. <laughs> to live here and then Zach was like speak for yourself I'm 13 years away life goes by so fast yeah um, 
So <laughs> I know. I'm like, I feel like I'm just starting out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. And so um, it was there that she made friends with this uh, very nice couple. It was a man named Bill Biega and his wife. They never said his wife's name either. Bill was a native of Poland. Okay. Um, he actually grew up in Poland, and he he's actually one of the last survivors of the 1944 Warsaw Uprising. He was a um, resistance fighter that attempted to drive out the Nazis. Wow. Yeah. So then he, he lived in England for some time. He still has a little bit of an English accent, they said, but then he had a career as an engineer and global, global sales executive once he moved to the United States. Wow. So talk about living a full life. Right. And so the couple and Iris, they really enjoyed playing bridge together. They, they became like bridge partners. Mm-hmm. And then uh, over time, when it became time for Iris to move on from Concordia, she moved into this retirement home um, called Applewood, which is in Freehold, New Jersey. Applewood is on 40 acres in Freehold, and it's like this really huge community to over 300 seniors. Apparently, Yeah. Apparently, it's not uncommon at all for people to move from Concordia to Applewood. That's kind of like just where everybody kind of went out. It's like a theater school. Yeah. (laughs) So she, so she, luckily she knew some people there because they had already gone. She had known them from. So like when people need more care. Yeah. Yeah. That's when they go to the retirement home. So then just months later after she had moved, sadly, Bill's wife passed away. Then Bill ended up moving into Applewood as well. Yeah. Bill's now 98 years old. Okay. And so they knew each other from playing bridge and stuff. So bonded over having lost wife and husband. And so they kind of developed a friendship, a stronger friendship and a deeper bond. Yeah. And Bill said, we were both very fortunate in that they were basically very well, meaning that they were very fit for their age. Like they still like to get out and do things and go on walks. And he taught her. Um, introduced her to swimming and they would swim together. Oh, yeah. Wow. And so, so they really enjoyed their time with each other. And then over time, their longtime friendship started to blossom into a romance. Yeah. Yeah. Saw her so, in her um, suit and was like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so right as they were starting to become more romantic and they would, you know, talk on the phone all the time, that was right in around the time of March 2020 when the coronavirus pandemic hit. And everybody was issued uh, stay-at-home orders, even within the Applewood community, you know, with the retirement community, they have to be very careful and everybody had to like stay in their own separate apartments. Okay. So it was really hard for them because they- I think that what I was picturing was a nursing home, but it's not a nursing home. It's a- like people have their own apartment. So it's more like assisted living, not yeah, assisted a nursing. Living. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense why they would talk on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It that was really hard for them because they had just gotten used to leaning on each other and spending all their time with each other. And they would try just talking on the phone as much as possible, but they said that it simply just wasn't enough for them. Yeah. So like being in a college dorm, <laughs> if you will, the two of them started sneaking out. Oh. Sneaking to meet each other after hours. And they said that that management was very, very careful about protecting everybody, rightfully so. 
And then one night when um, Bill was sneak, trying to sneak back into his apartment after a secret tryst with, with Iris, a security guard caught him sneaking back into his apartment. <laughs> <laughs> and the security guard told him, like, look, everybody here knows what's going on. We all know that you guys are, like, seeing each other. So you have a choice. Either move in together or stay apart indefinitely, yeah. you know, until this thing blows over. So the very next day, Iris packed up all of her stuff and moved into Bill's apartment. Hell yeah, Iris. Yeah. So Iris describes Bill's one-bedroom apartment as a um, cozy one-bedroom apartment for two is what she says. <laughs> and so, you know, it's now been a year later and they're both fully vaccinated, which is good. And the stay-at-home order has been lifted, but they're going to still live together because yeah. they just saw saw them living together is what they called a ray of light amid so much loss. Ira said, I can't imagine us not being together as long as we can be. We're also realistic and we know that we're not getting any younger. She said that their decision, their impulsive decision to move in together turned out perfectly because Ira still has her apartment and it's, which is good because that's where she keeps all of the artwork created by her late husband. So she still has like a little home for her husband um, that passed away and, and all of his belongings and stuff, but then she could spend all of her time with Bill. And she says that her and Bill have a glass of wine with dinner every night. Hell yeah. Yes. She said Bill orders it by the case. <laughs> He's a bit of a gourmet and he knows his wine. Um, I just go along with it for the ride is what she says. And um, she said that she's like, a, um, she calls herself a super news junkie. And Bill also follows the news, but he's more of a history buff. She said, politically, we're in the same basket. I'm a little to the left of Bill, but I've been pulling him my way. Um, so now that they're both fully vaccinated, they're excited to be able to get out and explore and do things and live their life out and about and free. And she said, and Bill said, I feel so fortunate that I'm still living here and still surviving and have the love and care of Iris. Live life day by day, they said. And um, uh, Iris said, listen, they're not all good days. Some days he doesn't feel well. Some days I don't feel well, but we just get through it. They said that their philosophies on life are, are similar. Mm -hmm. um, she said, money does not make you happy. There's something that we've learned. That's something that we've learned. It's the people you meet and the relationships that you maintain. That's what we value. Yes. I was just going to say that that is like such a testament of even when you're, you're 98, you're 99, like you're still craving connection and yeah. like you still want to experience life. Like that's such like, oh, that's so amazing to like, this is what is important. Yeah. And I love that so much. I know. It's a cute story. That's a good one. That was some apple story. pie. That was happy yeah. town. You there took you us go. to happy town, Jen. We haven't been there in a while and I'm just really happy to be back. <laughs> I'm happy to be back. I love this place. Why did we ever you leave? <laughs> I don't know what we do. Why do we ever go to murder town? We should just stay in happy town. I mean, I do kind of like murder town too. I'm just saying. <laughs> Well, that's my love story. I loved it. That was a good one. Thanks, right. man. Well, let's do something dumb and something we love. All right. You start. Okay. Uh, I don't think I have anything dumb this week, so I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to fuck it, man. You don't man. have to. You make your own fucking rules. I make my own rules. And 99 episodes in, 
tired of dumb things, a stupid pandemic. <laughs> I can't. Okay. Now you're just naming dumb things. <laughs> so I can't think of anything dumb. Um, <laughs> here's something I love. Can I be sappy about my husband for a second? Yes. We love Ben. Yeah. Okay. So, so Ben had been telling me, he's like, I hate just if you have a package comes, I got you a little something. And I was like, like for Mother's Day? He was like, no, no, no. Just like, just like for whatever. I just, I uh, thought it might be fun and I thought you might like it. And so I just ordered you a little something. And I was just expecting something really small. But yesterday, this huge package arrives. I was like, what did you do? <laughs> and he pulls this thing out and he got me a pottery wheel. Oh, he did? Yes. Oh my God. How big is it? It's not big. It's like a home beginner's one. So I mean, okay. he's like, you know, it wasn't super expensive, but he was like, it's, you know, it's just something to like play around on and see if you like it. And then if, you know, you get really into it, we'll invest or you can, you know, join a, a pottery studio or something. But like, I've right. been, you know, so into this pottery show <laughs> yeah um, and and I just uh I've been really thinking about like I really just I want to do something creative and that it is not comedy or writing like something that is like tactile that I'm not looking at a computer that I'm doing something physical yeah um, and so I'm just so excited to try it we have some he bought some clay that's coming soon and some other things and so I'm gonna try it I'm gonna sign up for a pottery class but I'm just so it was like so sweet and thoughtful and like I just was really uh really touched that he was like I, I think you should to do this thing that you're kind of been thinking about and I know you would never buy for yourself and that's um, so awesome I know they just don't make them like Ben anymore <laughs> um, every person listening to the podcast is like oh nice fuck you <laughs> fuck you and Ben no I'm just kidding no yeah that's okay. so awesome what a sweet dude it was very sweet it was very sweet that's awesome I'm, I'm just I'm excited to do it because it was like my mom like one, I mean, she was like not an artist, but she was like very into like doing creative things, and she yeah. at one point did pottery, and so it just feels like she always bought <gasps> us really beautiful pottery, like all the pottery we have in our house. My mom gifted us, and so it just feels like a nice connection to her too. So, oh my god, yeah. I love that. I know that's so awesome. I can't wait to see what you make. Yeah, I mean, it's probably just gonna be some like wobbly crap but you know hey, whatever I don't uh -uh. care I'm like it's I'm not trying to like be amazing I just think it'll be fun to like get your hands dirty you know yeah yeah that's so cool yeah congrats thanks man very exciting <laughs> okay so for something dumb I guess my dumb thing is that I'm very very busy this week um because I'm trying to get all of my affairs in order mm -hmm. And get every all my ducks in a row because my something I love is that I got a new job. I got a new job. Jen got a job. She's a boss lady. She got yeah. a job. I'm so um, happy for you. And I've been so you. impressed watching you throughout this whole process. Of, and it just is really inspiring and exciting. Thank you. And I feel like follow, like following the path that I'm supposed to take because it all this is one of the I feel like every job that I've ever had kind of happens to me. Yeah. And I know that that happens a lot with my friends too. You know what I mean? It's like I, sometimes things just fall into your lap because it's time. Right. And that's just and that's kind of how um this 
job came to place. So it's still a little bit of property management, a little bit what I'm doing, but ultimately I'm very excited that I will be um, taking over the management of the Highland Inn and Ballroom yeah. um, once it's ready. Yeah. Um, and that is a place that I have spent so much of my youth. Yeah. <laughs> like I, so I, um, it's a very special building near and dear to my heart. Um, and when I, I used to manage another, um, apartment building across the street from it, which was owned by the same company. And that's where I started doing comedy, where I started producing comedy shows. The building's just amazing. It it's is. an old historic building. And I'm very excited to be working with the new company that I'm working for. They seem like really amazing people and they really care about the neighborhood. I'm very excited. I'm I'm so proud of you and Thanks, so man. excited for you. I'm proud that sounds like I'm just like I'm excited for you and I'm just have been in like seriously in such awe of like watching you like go after this job. Thanks. I'm very, very excited. Yeah. But yeah, it was like just kind of um just a, a death. I feel like destined because yeah. I had actually applied for something else that they had, and then while I was doing that, I was like, oh. You bought the Highland Inn? Yeah. And then I was like, I actually am very familiar with that place. <laughs> and then they were like, you know, a couple of people have talked to us about you. And then it just kind of happened. And it, it's just like, uh, I'm very, very excited. So, um, And I'm just excited. Like, you know, this this has been the year of doing, of being stagnant for everyone, I feel like. Yeah. You know, and I feel like now is the time for big changes for everyone. Yeah. And let's all just like go for it, man. Just go now for it. Now is the time. Now is the time. I do want to say that this is very exciting. I want to I want to give you everybody out there just like a little heads up that we are at our 99th episode. Yeah. Our next episode is our 100th episode. We're very yeah. excited and proud of that. And then after that, we are going to take a month long break. Listen, we uh, we work really hard for you guys. We do. But also, you guys can now understand why that is probably happening as Jenna's starting a new job. Yeah, it's just a super busy time. And so we're just going to take that three or four week break. Um, I got to we'll get acclimated. Yeah. 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 So, but that's all part of the excitement. And we know you yeah. guys will be cool about it. Real cool. Real cool. And we love you. And we promise when we come back, we're going to have like some banging content for so you. much banging content <laughs> banging. <laughs> oh. it'll be hot and banging oh. <laughs> it's gonna be the it's gonna be a hot girl podcast summer <laughs> yeah hot, totally hot, hot pod <laughs> hot pod summer yep <laughs> um awesome well thank you guys again so much for listening Sally, you want to tell them where to hit us up? Uh, you can hit us on the socials at Dumb Love Podcast. You can email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com. You can rate and review. Did you know you could rate and review us on the Audible app? You can. That's where you listen to us. Um, and tell a friend. We would love that. Yeah. And don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum da dum 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 da 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 d